Okay, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, we're going to get started on the today's OSHA 3030. Uh, I'm John Gustafson. I'm here with uh, Larry Halperin, and we are talking about the uh, re a recent ALJ decision evaluating an employer's role uh, in relying on outside expert review of engineering plans. Uh, safety engineering plans, I should say. Okay, so as I already introduced, uh, Mr. Halpern is here with us. Hi, John. Good to be with you. And I'm John Gustafson. And this is the website uh, on which you can find all of the OSHA 3030 episodes. Uh, we ask that you... Uh, please, if you enjoy this complimentary program, forward your invitations to uh, three people in your office or three people you know, and uh, that way we can keep this program going. Okay, so today we're going to, as I said, we're going to talk about this decision, um, OSHA versus uh, Tower King 2. Um which is a decision that we'll get into it here, but it's uh, a, a um, safety rigging attached to a communications tower that fell and three guys died. Uh, so we're going to discuss discuss the decision and the 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 um, legal aspects of OSHA's case and how the ALJ decided it, uh, and then some interesting ancillary issues or. I guess central to this case, but um, reliance on consensus standards. Here there were two uh, ANSI standards that were in play. And we'll talk about uh, the notice of the, the alleged violation and whether that was fair. And finally, what employers should do. So... Um, Let's get into the facts of the the job here. Uh, so Tower King 2, the respondent in this case, was contracted to replace a dummy antenna on the top of a 950-foot telecom tower. Um, the antenna was on top of a pedestal on a tripartite arbor. Uh, so two of the parts had... Uh, live antennas, and then there was a dummy antenna as a counterweight. Um, so the the uh, group contracting wanted a live tower put up on that third apex, and then also replacement of that pedestal. So uh, Tower King Two developed a rigging plan uh, so that they could hoist. Uh, using a gin pole that, that is uh, adjacent to and vertical um, right next to the tower, they could hoist these uh, or first remove these components from the top of the tower and then hoist the new components to the top of the tower um, using this heavy gin pole. And uh, all now, in John, all... John, let, let me add, so give people a perspective. So the gin pole... There was an original designed one, one that was actually used, but the difference, one was 16,000 pounds, the other was 
about 18,000 pounds. One was about 140 feet. Initially, they ended up using one was 160 feet. But to give people an idea, so we're talking about lifting 20,000 pounds with 3,000 pounds of rigging and a gin pole that weighs another 16 or 18,000 pounds. And the gin pole is supposed to operate on a track along the uh, total length of the tower from the top to the bottom to, to move this heavy piece of antenna and pedestal. Right. And this pedestal was uh, three stories tall itself. So a lot of equipment getting hoisted very high in the air. Um, so Tower King developed a rigging plan that had safety elements to it. And they, uh, they submitted it to a third party uh, for engineering review. This is stainless. Stainless actually uh, d uh, engineered the, the, ac the telecom tower um, that, was, that was used here. So, so that's why Tower King uh, hired them to help with the assessment of the rigging plan. Right. Stainless and Tower King and several other parties that all bid for the job Stainless actually made the pedestal, but the contract to do this lifting and lowering of the two pieces of equipment was, was awarded to Tower King. Then Tower King turned around and said, well, we don't have the expertise to do the engineering calculations necessary to determine what the loads are on the tower, so we'll subcontract that out, if you want to call it that, to Stainless. And Stainless was hired to do that. And that's how things proceeded. So Stainless was asked to do an engineering review of the, the lift to determine whether the tower could handle it. And we should probably get into exactly what the, the contract said. This is a really good illustration of what not to do when you're contracting. <laughs> Put together a contract to lift 20,000 pounds with a 16,000 or 18,000 pole and have a two-sentence contract that says an engineering review of your completed rigging plan and will review the adequacy of the materials and effects on the tower. And that was basically the contract. Right. So we'll show the, we'll talk about the ANSI standards soon, but um, the standards uh, specify the information required in a rigging plan. And this is not OSHA's specification, but the, the specification of these ANSI standards um, that we'll talk about, and we'll talk about how OSHA relied on these standards. But as you see in this bottom bullet here, uh, the submitted, the plan submitted to Stainless omitted a number of uh, points of information, um, including most significantly how the gin pole would be attached to the tower, uh, among among other parts. Okay, so stainless performs this review, and in performing the review and calculating the loads, stainless assumed that this gin pole was going to be attached to the central tower, and in actuality, it was attached way out on the arbor. So there was a difference of about uh, 50 feet between the place where stainless assumed this attachment was going to be made and where it was actually going to be made, which grossly threw off the calculations as to how much the load was going to be exerted on this particular 
rigging system. So instead of a, a load of, let's say, 11,000 pounds for a pedestal, uh, which then Stainless estimated would be actually a load of about 3,300 pounds on the rigging uh, based on where the actual placement of the pole turned out. Uh, the load turned out to be about 15,000 pounds, including the, the pedestal plus the weight of the rigging. So we've got an estimate of, okay, we need to be able to handle 3,300 pounds, and it turned out you needed to be able to handle 15,000 pounds. And... Um, that calculation was so far off that the gin pole wasn't properly attached to the arbor to handle that additional weight and fell to the ground, and unfortunately the three employees fell with it. Right. Okay, so getting into what happened, as, as Larry just mentioned, uh, there was a miscalculation on Stainless's part, and most significantly... Uh, the the biggest error there was that they they missed where the where the gin pole was going to be attached uh, to the the standing structure. Um, so this the real reason here is the miscalculation of stainless. But OSHA cites the uh, the prime contractor uh, Tower King, and the facts are a little bit unclear. Um, and OSHA's report, which was issued in 2018, there's an extensive 60 or 70 page report on this incident. Um, OSHA says that Stainless made an erroneous assumption as to where this particular pole was going to be attached to the tower. And I think what we're getting to is that's not a minor point, and that should have been clearly identified in the rigging plan. Uh, and we'll get to that, but that's that's not the primary allegation that OSHA raised and it's and alleging that the plan was inadequate. They right. Focused on some other things that were far less significant. Right. So OSHA, uh, in their citation and in their investigative report, they talked heavily about what this ANSI uh, plan required and some of the missing elements in that plan. Uh, and perhaps the the key point that we're talking about, the the point of connection between the gin pole and the structure, uh, didn't fit into that theory. But they they really highlighted all of these ancillary uh, points of the decision, or excuse me, of the of the factual circumstances and the the info missing in the plan. And so so a bulk. The bulk of the decision was how was about how these uh, these omissions from the plan did not could not have caused a calculation that presented a hazard. So these are a couple pictures from the investigative report. Uh, this left one is obviously aerial. Not as there were some higher pictures, but I wanted to include this one because it has um, it has some of the twisted metal of the gin pole uh, in the picture right I, there. I believe that is the track the gin pole was attached to, and it's you can see how bent it is. And on the ground right. is actually okay. the gin pole itself. Right. So 
when the gin pole fell, half of it snapped off and fell uh, fell out into the field. So here's the citation language that OSHA issued, which basically repeats the general introductory language from general duty clause citation. And then here's the critical part, the way the ALJ interpreted it, was that it was the employees were working without a complete rigging plan and exceeded the capacity of the rigging attachments. So basically, on based on that language, and if you look at the OSHA report itself, it focuses on a failure to comply with the ANSI standards, and then OSHA relies on the general duty clause as a way of giving recognition to the consensus standards as if they represent industry recognition of a hazard and a way of dealing with it. And and maybe, Larry, this is a good time to bring this up, but isn't there a uh, rigging a, a s construction standard requirement on uh, rigging loads? And Yeah, they're, they're, it's interesting, um, and it, it gets to a few issues. I'm, I'm not sure why they didn't cite it. They had the construction group look at the incident. Um, I don't think anybody would dispute that this was a construction activity. And so if you look at the rigging standard on the construction standard, it would basically say don't overweight the rigging. I mean, it's a uh, short standard is. Let's see. 1926-251 says ensure rigging is not loaded in excess of its recommended safe working load, which obviously <laughs> happened here. So maybe we're missing something, but I don't understand why OSHA didn't cite that standard. If they had, then that would have opened the door to potentially also citing the engineering company. Uh, they couldn't have cited the engineering company under the general duty clause because the engineering company didn't have any personnel on site while all this was going on. They they had somebody deliver the pedestal, but as far as I know, there's nobody on site, so they couldn't have cited them because you general duty clause deals with protecting your own employees, not somebody else's. But if they would cited the rigging standard, uh, then that standard is generally interpreted to apply to employees of other employers. And then the question is whether Tower King would have been engaged in a construction activity. And that's an open issue that was in that CMN2 Hill case uh, where the Court of Appeals held in a particular case where the engineering firm wasn't responsible for any of the safety functions. Um, in that particular case, that construction standards would not apply, but the court declined to say that an engineering firm could never be subject to construction standards. And here we have a situation where the engineering firm is integrally involved in the safety issue about making sure the rigging is adequate to handle the load. So that's an open issue. I don't know why OSHA didn't cite the construction standard and then potentially cite the engineering firm. Right. And and so nothing under the general duty clause and, and case law from it requires a complete rigging plan. It's all about whether a hazard is present. So that language and that, that requirement that was read in here by OSHA 
comes from the ANSI standards that specify uh, specify the contents and requirement for uh, a, a plan to be reviewed. And so that just kind of goes to show how how heavily here OSHA relied on the ANSI standard uh, and not its own rigging standard or just facts that could have made out a violation under the general duty clause. So, um, so a general duty clause violation has five requirements here. Um, I, I'm not going to read them. They're, they're on the slide. But uh, pretty intuitive whether something at the uh, workplace presented a hazard that's recognized that could cause death or serious harm, uh, whether there was an opportunity to reduce the hazard, and whether it was foreseeable whether the hazard, uh, hazardous condition was foreseeable. And uh, going back to that slide, the, the uh, ALJ really focused on the first two elements of, this, um, of, the, of the five for establishing a general duty clause violation. And, and that, that is sensible because, you know, the, the hazard uh, in step one, in requirement one, is really a predicate to uh, many of the other uh, requirements here. So first establishing that hazard uh, was, an, was something that OSHA couldn't do here. And OSHA couldn't do it because, in, in our view, based on what we've seen, it looks like they didn't identify, they didn't identify the appropriate hazard. Um, again... OSHA focused on the hazard being an, an inadequate or incomplete rigging plan. If they had used that as a means of abatement and focused on other potential ways of handling it, um, these are some possibilities. One is they didn't have a complete rigging plan. Two, they exceeded the capacity of the rigging either under the general duty clause or more specifically under 1910-26-251, which would normally apply over the general duty clause. And then the third one is they were performing on the work on the tower and they failed to adhere to the approved rigging plan. Um, so basically, in, instead of the language that OSHA used, we're not clear why they didn't use all three of those plus citing the, uh, the rigging standard and then they would have had a much better chance of sustaining the citation. Right, and so uh, just to back up for a second, when, when OSHA alleges this violation and it comes before the ALJ, you know, they, they have to plead, uh, they have to tell the ALJ what the hazard is or what the condition or activity was that presented a hazard. So that's what Larry's talking about here is um, the, that OSHA s said, well, it's the incomplete rigging plan, but really they could have uh, specified any number of these other uh, conditions or activities. Or I think they, they also could have spec uh, said that Tower King failed to specify to its uh, safety reviewer uh, the correct connection point between the gin pole and the structure. Mm -hmm. I mean, that really presented the the miscalculation 
That's what led to the miscalculation that presented the hazard. And we we touched on this. Uh, one, number one here is the that's the predicate uh, establish the hazard that OSHA, OSHA has to establish. And then the ALJ also focused on whether the employer or the industry recognized the hazard. And we'll talk about both of these, uh, starting with number one right now. Okay, so as we mentioned, the main problem appears to be that stainless calculated the loads based on where the gin pole was going to be attached and there was a huge difference between where stainless assumed it was going to be attached and where it was attached. And that made the whole difference. Instead of addressing that, OSHA focused on three other aspects of the rigging plan that may have been related, but certainly didn't come through that way. One was with the angles of the rigging weren't specified in the plan. And Tower had an expert who the ALJ determined was more qualified and therefore credible than OSHA's expert who said, well, the angles could have been determined because of the way the plan was described. And so the fact that they weren't specified in the plan wasn't really a hazard because it didn't result. It wouldn't have resulted in a problem because stainless could have figured them out on its own. That's essentially what it came down to. Right. So, so on each of these three, um, each of these three elements, you know, OSHA presented its case and couldn't make out that these hazards or these conditions led to uh, presented a hazard. And so, and one thing I just want to point out quickly is, you know, these citations usually occur after a major accident happens, and then. Uh, but the the citation itself, the legal violation, is whether there was a process issue. So did so because the plan was the identified condition, it's whether that could have led to miscalculations that presented a hazard. That's process versus whether that ha whether uh, the actual omissions. Um, did lead to the accident. And sometimes we see this with uh, citations is OSHA focuses on uh, what happened rather than the process that uh, underlied the accident. And it goes the other way. Sometimes the employers tried to defend on the basis that the accident wasn't foreseeable and the answer is it really doesn't matter if you violated the, the particular standard and that was a you know, reasonable outcome. That's what happens. So the second issue where OSHA said this, this plan was inadequate is that uh, Tower King used a bigger and heavier gin pole than was identified in the plan submitted to stainless. And ALJ said, well, that may be, but you didn't allege some deviation from the plan. You alleged the plan was incomplete. At the time the plan was submitted to stainless, it was complete. So if you want to allege a burden of proof based on deviation from the plan, you should have alleged that failed to implement the plan properly or something to that effect. So the judge tossed out that argument and said that doesn't establish that the inadequate plan led presented a hazard. And right. There's a third one. Right. So so perhaps there's uh, 
there was some sloppy pleading on OSHA's part. I will say it is always with easier 2020 hindsight right. to see what somebody should have done. <laughs> but anyway, then, then the third thing was that there were three employees, for whatever sake, let's say they all weighed 200 pounds. So that was an additional load that was going to be on this gin pole if the employees were tied off to the gin pole. And OSHA alleged that Tower King failed to identify the loads that were created by the three employees if they were on the gin pole. Um, Tower King's expert came along and said, well, an understatement of the load by 5% is considered insignificant by the industry, and OSHA never established how much the additional three employees would have contributed to the load or that it was over 5%. So having accepted that a 5% excess was okay, and OSHA not having established what the additional load would be, the LJ said, well, you're the failure to identify the loads created by the three employees or where they were going to be placed um, didn't, didn't establish the existence of a hazard again. Right. The, there may have been a risk, but it wasn't. OSHA didn't establish that it was a significant risk and didn't, and didn't even bother uh, putting forth testimony or evidence rebutting the Ta- Tower King's expert on the 5%. So, you know, unrebutted that's, and with, from a witness that's found credible, uh, that's taken to be true. So the second, the second focus of the judge's opinion was, is this an activity or condition, meaning an incomplete rigging plan, is this an, a, a condition or activity that's, that is a recognized hazard by either the employer or the industry? Right. So in this situation, the judge had already made a determination that OSHA had not established the existence of a hazards, so we really didn't have to get into the question of whether it was recognized or not. However, just to put another nail in his holding, it went to the next step and said, okay, if the failure to identify the fact that the three employees were going to be attached to this gin pole was significant, I mean, if that was supposedly looked at as a hazard, uh, then he the judge found that it wasn't recognized to be a hazard. Uh, and in fact, the uh, practice, according to Tower King's expert, was that you would assume that the employees would be attached to the gym pole, and that would have been taken into account in doing the load calculations. Therefore, the judge basically said there isn't a hazard, and if there was a hazard, it wasn't recognized. And didn't even go into that with respect to the other two allegations. Just decided they weren't hazards in the first place, and there was no need to go any further than that. So, when you see all that, um, I mean, the first thing we we always like to emphasize is it as Manish closes every uh, session is be safe. Uh, that should be the primary message that comes out of this to make every effort to avoid these kind of incidents and that means you carefully select the engineer and rigging contractors you use you ensure their roles and responsibilities are clearly documented a a two-sentence contract for a rigging job engineering review 
when people are a thousand feet up in the air with 30 or 40 or so thousand pounds, um, it takes some expertise and some care. And clearly, as we can see here, the rigging plans were inadequate. Uh, just to deviate, I've, we're working with the chimney sweeps in OSHA and talking about what kind of plans they need to access a, a residential roof that's 20 feet off the ground. And this rigging plan was clearly way short of what would be appropriate given the risks to make sure that when you think about human error and misunderstandings, uh, that plan should have specified everything and it should have been signed off by Tower King that this is the way we're going to do it and then by stainless. And, and the other problem here is that there's two standards. One deals with the engineering of the tower where stainless certifies that the tower will withstand the loads that are going to be placed on it in doing the lifts. And the other requirement is that there be an analysis that the rigging that's being used is adequate to support the loads that are going to be handled safely. So the roles got confused here. It looked like stainless not only certified that the tower was structurally capable of handling the loads but started to get into the issues about whether the rigging was adequate but didn't go all the way and then when their final review came through, according to the report, only a few days before the work was going to begin, they basically had a disclaimer on there saying all that they were certifying to was that the tower would withstand the loads. At that point, it seems Power King should have taken a step back and said, do we really have all our ducks in a row and do we know what we're doing here? Or should we go back and take a look and see whether somebody else should be doing an engineering analysis of the actual plan we have for attaching this gin pole and rigging up this piece of uh, equipment? And then I guess I've, I've said this before, sometimes you have to be sure you're going to pay what's necessary to get the job done properly. And this is one of those kind of tasks where the risks are so high that you can't just go on the lowest bidder, but you've got to take some other things into account. Uh, so I guess I'm repeating some of these things, but basically you need to be really clear in the contract. It appears that the ANSI standards are not adequate enough to the task, at least uh, not without some careful clarifications in terms of responsibilities and addressing ambiguities. Um, they relied on the standards to some extent, but um, not enough to really make sure everybody knew whose roles and responsibilities came in forward with respect to this rigging. And on that point, uh, Larry, you know, we, we can't generalize to every context. Um, so this isn't universally applicable, but um, in this instance, uh, noncompliance with the ANSI standard did not was not determinative of uh, compliance or non-compliance with the general duty clause. Um, and so in some instances, uh, you know, while, the, while an ANSI standard may indicate 
may show what industry practices are. Uh, they may not. It may not be the best practice to only follow that. Uh, so just something to keep in mind. But of course, it varies uh, per context. You know, uh, by job to job. Mm-hmm. So this is an area where OSHA's identified a significant risk. They've had a brief a panel to adopt a standard. Some states have adopted tower erection maintenance standards in the meantime. Uh, there have been a significant number of fatalities. Uh, let's go to the next slide. So if, if you looked at all this, you would probably say that this kind of a case provides at least some arguable factors that weigh in favor of an OSHA standard on the basis that the First, the ANSI standards don't appear to have enough specificity. Uh, Secondly, if you rely on the general duty clause, you can't reach potentially to an outside engineering firm that you might be able to reach to if if you had a standard. And then the standard would more specifically state who's responsible for what. Um, So people in this area need to think about whether the ANSI standard is adequate, recognize that OSHA's potentially going to go beyond it and expecting rigging plans to go certainly beyond what was presented in this case. Um, There could be an an initial rigging plan that goes to an outside engineering firm, but then after that, it it appears that there should be some sort of a final rigging plan, which explains, for example, how a gin pole is going to be attached to a (laughs) tower, and then it should go back to stainless and say, okay, is this what you had in mind when you certified that the structure would handle it properly. And if that's all stainless is going to do, maybe that would have been it. But stainless went beyond that and started identifying the loads that were going to be placed in the tower. Um, And then, like I said, besides the plan issue, then the failure to implement the plan the way it, it was actually documented certainly was an issue. And, um, finally, uh, can we go back to the, the next, sure. The next. What it really comes down to, I guess, is we've got some ANSI standards that don't look like they're adequate and need to be carefully re-examined. They, I think they were both 2016 standards. Right. And certainly they were probably a reaction to an improvement on what had occurred historically in terms of accidents and experience. But this particular experience indicates that there's still some some need for improvement. And in OSHA's situation, it appears they have an area where there are fatalities and serious accidents, and they just have to make a policy decision about whether the resources are most effectively spent developing a standard in this area or in some other area. But clearly, this one looks like it needs some work. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, next month we have uh, the commissioner. We have Commissioner Sullivan joining us. So please join for that one. Uh, that should be a very interesting talk. Um, you can find us in a number of places. Any of the platforms on which you, uh, from which you're able to get 
uh, podcasts. You can you can get our our program as a podcast along with the other thirty thirty programs. You can connect with us on LinkedIn uh, or catch Monish on Twitter at at Rath Monish. Again, we ask that you. Uh, forward your invites to this program to at least other th- three other people um, so we can keep uh, a, uh, an audience and uh, keep this program going. Uh, finally, make sure to check out our other 3030 programs. The uh, dates are listed here. And, uh, and last of all, thank you, and I'll say it for Manish, uh, stay safe.